0: But this morning, if you all would open up to 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five. And as you're turning there, one of the things that um, one of my dearest friends told me and then it just kind of kept coming up, several years ago she told me, you know, for, for those of you that have seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, She said, you remind me of Ben Stein when you speak. Bueller, Bueller. And sometimes that doesn't always come through. When I'm teaching, for some reason, it it seems a little different. But when I'm doing an announcement video, it reminds me of Ben Stein. So if anyone here likes to be in front of the camera, I know that there are some hams among us here that would love to make your big break in front of the camera. We would love to have you do that because we are at the bottom of the barrel and that's me. So if there's anybody else, I would love for you to get involved with that. So seriously, we do have a need for that. So if you want to be on camera, if you wouldn't mind being on camera, we would love to have you join us and be a part of the, the video announcement ministry. So if you have an interest in that, you can see me, you can see Pastor James, uh, you can let him know in the church office, give him your contact information and we will be more than happy to work on getting you to replace me. That would be wonderful. So, but this morning we're going to be talking about ministry and it's going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to go ahead and read verses 16 through 21 and then we'll pray and I have a few things to share with you. So beginning in verse 16 it says, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Heavenly Father, once again, we come before you. We commit this time unto you. We pray that that you would remove any of the distractions of this day, of this life that you would allow us to be set and focused upon you. We pray that you would soften and prepare our hearts to hear from your word as you speak. I pray that you would give me your words to speak and not my own, and, and that you would guard our hearts and our minds, that we would only hear from you this morning. I pray, Father, that you would give us your understanding, your discernment, to rightly divide your word. And we commit this time to you, we commit ourselves unto you once again. And we ask and pray all of these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. And now I have two videos that I'd like to show you. So if you can go ahead and hit the lights and play those videos.
1: You're an official church door greeter. You're not just friendly. You're working out there. You wear a badge. You can spot a newcomer at 60 bases. Your palms are never too sweaty and your breath is almost never toxic. You've got a knack for telling who feels welcomed and who feels kind of lost. You make talking about the weather feel a little bit like a hug. You know the quickest route to a good cup of coffee and all the bathrooms. And you know that making someone feel like we're glad they're here is the first step to making them family. Thanks, official church door greeter. We couldn't do church without you. Looking good. Now go get them, tiger.
2: Some say, it's the hardest job in the world. And let's be honest, most wouldn't last 10 minutes in your shoes. They just don't have what it takes. But you keep showing up week after week. You're first to arrive and last to leave. You're not afraid to get your hands dirty. You've got work to do. Hero? Maybe. But that's not why you do it. You're here to change lives. And even a few diapers. If you have to. That's right. You're a volunteer nursery worker. You serve the smallest of us. But don't let size fool you. These kids are tough. Thanks, volunteer nursery worker. We couldn't do church without you. now that's what i call a badge of honor
0: well the title of this morning's message is ministry is messy and as you can see sometimes that happens literally but but ministry is a challenge ministry is difficult and and sometimes when we hear the word ministry we immediately shut off if we're not a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a leader in some particular ministry of a church, but this morning we're going to be talking about ministry from a very, very different perspective, and that's as it relates to all of us, not as pastors or elders or deacons or anything else, but just as children of God, as the ambassadors of Christ that we're called to be, and sometimes ministry is messy. Ministry is difficult. Truly ministering in love, as Peter exhorts us, as we're going to see in a little while, it can be difficult. There are all sorts of people with vastly different personalities going through a variety of different struggles, and it can be challenging. And in order to really minister into the lives of people, we usually have to step out of our comfort zones, which by its very definition is challenging because we like to be comfortable. We like it. My wife and I were driving with our kids the other day, and, and I can't remember the context, I just remember the, the rest of the conversation as it went, because my wife mentioned that she hasn't been comfortable in nearly 10 years, which is roughly the time that we've been married, but I think she was referring more to, to having kids. But, but it, having kids, and, and even being married, getting to a place where you are serving someone else, You know, as you're going through a marriage relationship, the husband and the wife, they serve each other. They minister to one another. They meet the needs of each other. As you have children, you become a parent. Now the the responsibilities continue to grow because now you have more needs that need to be met in the lives of your kids. And, And it can be challenging. It can be difficult. And it takes you out of your comfort zone. You know, I, somebody asked, you know, are you tired? And I said, well, I've been tired for several years since we had our first child. You know, it, you never seem to catch up on that. And they tell me, oh, it gets better. I don't know when because it, it's been challenging. We, my wife and I were driving to church this morning, and she said, I, I know that you can function on four or five hours of sleep, but I can't do that. And I said, neither can I. I don't know how that happens. But, you know, you, you just get used to things. But, but it takes you out of your comfort zone. And as we've studied before, love is a verb that involves a great deal of commitment, and I would suggest to you that the word minister is the very same thing, that it is a verb, and it involves a great deal of commitment. The dictionary definition says that to minister is to attend to the needs of someone. The synonyms that it gives are to tend to, to care for, to take care of, to look after, nurse, treat, attend to see to, administer to, help, and to assist. And these are all of the things that, that get wrapped up into this word minister. That we are called to minister to each other. And so what does all this mean for us as Christians according to the Word of God? Well the first thing is that we are ambassadors of Christ and we've been given this message, this ministry of reconciliation. We just read it in Second Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so he says there, if anyone is in Christ... So that means that all of us here this morning that have already entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ, that now call ourselves believers, that call ourselves Christians, all the different ways that you can describe it, but to know that you have a living, breathing, right relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, this is for you. This is for us. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation, and all things have become new. And then he continues on in verse 18 when he says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself. You know, Paul writes in Romans, he talks about that we've been born into sin, that we are constantly at enmity with God. We're at war with God. We have a sin nature, and from the time that we enter into this world, we are at war with God. And that it is the death, the resurrection, of Jesus that allows us to to now be reconciled to the Father that now allows us access into this relationship into this grace into this faith that allows us these privileges and so we've been made new we've been reconciled to God we've been brought back into a right relationship with him so we, he's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ but not only that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That means that there's a ministry to it. There's a word of reconciliation, the gospel of peace, that has been committed unto us. And then he continues in verse 20. He says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so first, Paul tells us who we are in Christ. Then he begins to share some of the blessings that we have received through this relationship. And finally, he reminds us of some of our responsibilities in this newfound relationship that we have the ministry of and the word of reconciliation to go and to be ambassadors for Christ, to go and to share on his behalf, to continue the ministry of the gospel here on the earth. In other words, we have work to do on behalf of the Jesus that we now know and love. And we are called to invite other sinners And it's important that we we say it like that, that we phrase it like that, that we are reminded of it like that, because we are sinners saved by grace. And so we are calling out to invite other sinners, others that are just like us, because none of us is perfect. And we are calling other sinners to receive the same grace, to meet Jesus, and to begin the same relationship that we now have with him. And Jesus came to die for the ungodly. We know that. Sometimes I think we forget it when we, once we've been saved and we've gotten comfortable in this relationship in Jesus Christ and, and we, we begin to attend church regularly and then it becomes a rut, it becomes a routine, and we just kind of get stuck in it. We get lost, we get complacent, we get comfortable, and we forget that we were very ungodly. That we were very ungodly and that Jesus came to die for the ungodly. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8, through eight, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Paul lays it out there. He died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the righteous, he died for the unrighteous, because that's who we are. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is to save the ungodly. And there are churches out there that I think take it a little too far and they want to invite people in who don't know Jesus, who, who have not made this, this relationship, who have not made a profession of faith, and they want to invite these people in and allow them to serve in ministry and, and sometimes, honestly, even ordain them. Because the thinking is that if we can get them inside the church, if we can get them involved, if we can get them serving, if we can get them doing something, then maybe they're going to come to know Jesus as they're doing that. And nowhere is that more apparent than on worship teams. For some reason, there's this big push inside of churches nowadays to to go and to, to bring in musicians from the world that are skilled and gifted and talented, to bring them in and we'll get them saved after we get them on the worship team. And I I think that that's taking it too far. But having said that, I do believe that churches should be a place where people that don't know Jesus can come and find out more about Him. I mean, doesn't that make logical sense? That we would want people that don't know Jesus yet, that don't have the same kind of relationship that we have with Jesus, don't we want them to know about it? Don't we want them to know Him? And shouldn't they be able to come to a place like this without being condemned without being judged without being looked at as how dare you enter into the church because I know what what's on your social media account or I know where you were this past week or I, I know the things that you've said I know the things that you've done you know one of the things that that happened at, at the men's retreat a, a couple of weeks back is that there were four men that gave their lives to Christ and as I was settling the account and talking to the camp director at the end of the weekend I I was sharing with him that that four four men had given their lives to the Lord. And he said, that's amazing. And one of the things that that amazed him so much is that it wasn't taken for granted that everyone in that place already had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we get complacent about that. We, We come to church and we automatically assume that everybody else that's sitting in the chairs next to us is saved. That everyone else around us knows Jesus Christ already, and that's not always the case. That is not always the case. And sometimes people that don't know Jesus yet, that, that maybe they're, they're churchy, maybe they think they're going to heaven, but they don't know Jesus yet, and they're here and they're still doing things because their life hasn't been transformed yet. Their life hasn't been changed. They are not yet a new creation, and their life reflects it. And there are still so many things that they're doing that are going on that obviously don't reflect Jesus Christ. And they become judged and condemned by other people, by other Christians, that are, by other people that, that are Christians, because there's an assumption that everyone that attends church must be saved. And that's not always the case. There's a great quote by a man named C.T. Studd that has impacted my life tremendously from the moment that I heard it. He said, someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And I think that that, really in a nutshell, that, that describes ministry. Like That's what it is to have this gospel, this ministry of reconciliation that's been committed to us that, that we should want to minister to the people that are within a yard of hell. And, and going back to what we just talked about, I would suggest to you that most of the time when we come into the doors of a church that we are in both of those places at once, that we are obviously within the sound of church, but that we are also running a rescue shop within a yard of hell because there are people that don't know Jesus Christ that are sitting here this morning. And it's part of our responsibility as children of God to not only be aware of that, but to allow ourselves to be used to possibly bring them into the kingdom. I would suggest to you that, that that's part of What should shape how we act all the time, including inside the body of Christ? We need to be aware of this. We need to allow it to impact the way we act, the way we speak, and the way that we minister everywhere. There are people who need to hear the truth about Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 13, it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We know this. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3, verses 14 through 19. We, I didn't put it in my notes, but, but John 3, verses 14 through 19, I think we all know that. And where Jesus explains that all who believe in him will be saved. And those who don't believe in him are condemned already because they've heard the truth and they did not believe it. They did not respond to it. But here's something that we need to understand about our responsibility in that after we've been saved. Because Paul goes on in verse 14 of Romans 10 and he says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And that is us. We are called, and not just those that are pastors or elders or deacons, but all of us who are children of God. If anyone is in Christ we are called to preach the gospel of peace to bring the glad tidings of good things to this lost and dying world that is part of our responsibility in this relationship that we now have and as we've studied before we've been empowered and prepared for this and every other thing that God has called us to that we have been empowered and prepared for ministry We've been prepared for good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we've talked about this many times before. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. We know this, that we didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything. It wasn't that we were so worthy or so special or so perfect or so good that God said, okay, I want to have a relationship with you, that we while we were still at war, when we were without strength, that Christ died for the ungodly, that Christ died for us. So we've been saved through faith by grace, not of ourselves. But then he continues in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, his poema, his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And what better work could there possibly be than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that God has prepared these works beforehand that we should walk in them. So we've been saved by grace not because of anything we've done or any special qualities that we innately had. And on top of that, we're God's creation, a new creation, as we read in 2 Corinthians, created for good works. And God has prepared us and he's prepared the good works beforehand so that we can be confident that we've been given everything we need to be able to accomplish it. We can be confident in that. You know, I, I love when, when there are new people that get involved in a different ministry, whatever particular ministry it might be within the, the, the church. But for me, directly, I get to see a lot of people that, that are helping to lead worship for the first time. And as they come up, one of the things that that always seems to be the case is there's this feeling of of inadequacy. This feeling of, you know, can I do this? Is this really something that I'm able to do? And, And I can tell you that God has done some amazing things as people have continued to use their gifts and the abilities in whatever great or small amount God has granted them to use them for His glory and His honor. You know, I, I shared before, there's a video that I saw a couple of years back. It was on VHS because it was several years. It was 20 years ago. I, I'm starting to get older. I'm not old, I don't think yet, but, but I'm starting to get older. And so I've been doing music ministry for 20 years now. And I, I saw this video a couple of years back from the first year. And oh my goodness, I can't believe they ever asked me back. I, I was shocked at how bad it was but somebody saw something in me beyond just the, the, the talent and they, they wanted me to minister with the gift that I had been given. And it's something that you continue to practice, you refine, you, you use and you put it into practice. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but, but to see that God has already prepared beforehand all of this, he's prepared you and the things that he wants you to do, he's already prepared it all for you. And so you can step out confidently in that, not because of anything that is of you, but because of everything that is of him. That he has prepared it all. That we have been given everything we need to accomplish every task that God sets before us. And we do this with the ability that God supplies. In First Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11, through 11, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers." So first we get here the reminder that we're getting really close to the end of all things. They were writing about it, they were talking about it when they were still alive, those who had seen Jesus with their own eyes as he walked the earth. And so if it was close then, it's even closer now. It's not for us to look at it and say, well, it's been 2,000 years, Jesus said he'd be right back, and since it's already been 2,000, it might be another 2,000. Sure, it might be but it might also be two seconds from now. We have no idea. And so we are closer now than we've ever been. And you look around at all of the things that are taking place in the world right now. You look at the prophetic things that are laid out in the Bible. The things that Jesus said, these are gonna be the signs of the end of the age. So many things are already in place. So many things have already taken place. It could happen at any moment and so it's the reminder here that the end of all things is at hand so what should that do that should cause us to be serious and watchful in our prayers and then to do something else to above all things have fervent love for one another fervent love a passionate love a deeply committed love something that gets out of our comfort zone that takes us out of our way a deep and fervent love for one another For love will cover a multitude of sins. To be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And in verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And we've shared before that if you are a child of God, if you this morning are found in Christ, you have been gifted. God has not left any of his children without gifts. In fact, I truly believe that God has blessed every child of his with multiple gifts. And his desire is for us to use them. And so as each one has received a gift, we are to minister it to one another. We are to use it to attend to the needs of those around us, having fervent love for one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And he continues in verse 11, he says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so as we see here, if you speak, speak as the oracles of God. Speak as the words of God, as the wisdom of God. And how do we do that? It doesn't mean that, that it's like a, a, a musical, that, well, I have to sing worship songs or I have to, to every time I'm going to open my mouth, I have to say in, in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, that's not what it means. What it means is that the words and the wisdom of God are so ingrained in our hearts and our minds that we can't help but share that wisdom when we speak. I can't tell you how many times that that I've had the opportunity to to minister into the life of someone that's a non-believer that has come and they've asked for advice and sometimes even those that if I tell them, you know, the Bible says that immediately they shut down, they shut off, they shut me out. But they'll come and they'll ask, you know, hey, this is going on in my life and, you know, I just don't know what to do. What do you think? And if I share with them the wisdom of God without telling them, it's found in Proverbs chapter 21 verse whatever. If I just share with them the wisdom of God without quoting them where it came from, there are many times that they will be receptive, that they'll listen to that. They'll go and they'll come back days, weeks, months later and they'll say, you know what? I really, really thought about what you told me and I, I did it and, and it really worked out. And I just wanted to thank you for, for that wisdom. You know, you, you're just, you're very wise. And it is in that moment that the door has now been opened for me to be able to turn around and to tell them, Well, you know what? That wasn't my wisdom. That, that was actually straight from the Bible. I didn't tell you because I know you probably wouldn't have wanted to hear it, but, but that was actually straight from the Bible. And now they begin to see that, that it actually can make a difference in their lives. And it's an open door. But how are we going to be able to speak as the oracles of God, as the words of God, as the wisdom of God, if we don't know the words of God? If we don't know the wisdom of God? And so it's this twofold exhortation. One, to speak the words of God. But the first one, in order to be able to do that, is to know the words of God. To be able to spend time growing, to, to allow ourselves time to think upon it, to meditate upon it, to allow it to become a part of, of our everyday, everyday life. But then he continues and and he talks about ministering to each other with the power and the ability that God supplies. And in all of this, that God is to be glorified. And I, I love the fact that Peter writes that it is with the ability that God supplies. The ability that God supplies. Because it's not something that I ever should get to the place where I am doing it in my own strength, in my own ability, in things that I think I have done. But it has to be in the power and the ability that God supplies. Because His power, His uh, ability to grant us ability is limitless. Limitless. Everything that I do, everything that I have that is of myself, it has a limit. And it's a very, very small limit. But the love, the power, the ability, everything that God supplies, it is limitless. Every time that we are poured out, we are spent, we are exhausted, we have given everything, God is so faithful because he can come in and he can refill all of it. Because his supply is limitless. And God is glorified in that. But part of it is that we have to practice. We have to refine these things. We have to use them. I, I spoke a little bit about the men's retreat that we went on a couple of weeks ago and, and one of the, the fun things for me was as we were doing some of the different activities, I had the opportunity to go out and to play basketball with some of the guys and, and it had been about two years, maybe a little bit longer since I'd even picked up a basketball, literally since I had even picked up a basketball. And, and after I found the rim about 25 shots in, I, it started to become fun again and, and I was able to play. And and it brought back all of these memories, and I vividly remember all the things that I could do on the basketball court. And it's not that I played in high school or college or anything like that, but I used to play a lot, and and I used to have fun, and I was was pretty good. And, And I vividly remember the things that I could do. But one of the things that I found out is that my body vaguely remembers the things that I used to be able to do. And so as I'm going through and I'm playing, my mind remembers it, and I'm going, and the ball's back there. You know, it it got lost on the way. Or or I'm trying to do something, and my legs just don't move the way that they used to move. My body vaguely remembers, but my mind vividly remembers. Because I hadn't put it into active practice. Because I, I hadn't played in two years. And I would suggest to you that it's the same with the talents and the abilities that God has given to us. Yes, the power and the, the ability are limitless and they've been granted to us. But when we are not faithful to use those things, then we are unprepared when the moment hits. And it, it's rusty. It takes a little getting used to again. It's hard. So we need to be actively using everything that God has given to us. And I truly believe, again, that God is honored when we are faithful to use the gifts and the abilities that He's given to us. And that He receives the glory. That He receives the glory. One of the other things that that we can find confidence in is that we are spirit-filled. That as a child of God, we have this privilege to be spirit-filled, to be empowered. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18, Paul writes, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I've, t- I've talked about this before. I love this passage and I love this word. It is the only place in the word of God that you see the word circumspectly. And it's a word that's rooted in, in a mathematical term, to the circumference, the distance around. And, and the picture there is that we are prepared at all times, that, that we have our head on a swivel, that, that we are constantly looking around, not just for the things that would cause us to fall, but also for the opportunities to be used for the glory of God. I had the privilege to be able to share at a memorial service on Friday night, and, and one of the the gentlemen that got up to speak about, about the, the family member that had passed, he shared that, you know, all of the other things that everyone has shared, you know, those are all well and good, but the thing that I remember the most about him is that he was Johnny on the spot. That whenever we needed something, he was there. He was Johnny on the spot. You know, when we needed pallbearers for this funeral and nobody in the family was there, he was there, Johnny on the spot. When we needed something, nobody else could help, he was there, he was Johnny on the spot. And that, again, I would suggest to you is what ministry looks like, is to be Johnny on the spot. That we are constantly looking for opportunities to be used. For opportunities to use whatever gifts and abilities God has given to us to be able to use them to minister to the needs of others inside and outside the body of Christ. Inside and outside the physical church. That we are looking to be Johnny on the spot that we want to use the gifts and the abilities that we've been given. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, that you're ready, and that you walk not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time, knowing that the end is near, knowing that the days are evil, that we are redeeming the time, that we're making use of the time, that we're making use of the abilities that God has given to us. And then he continues on, he says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we need to use our God-given, Spirit-powered abilities for the glory of God. And what better way to figure it out, to find out what we should do, than to follow verse 17. It says, therefore, do not be unwise, but to do what? To understand the will of the Lord. We already talked about the fact that God has already prepared these good works beforehand that we should walk in them, that it is part of of our calling as children of God, if anyone is in Christ, that we are to be ambassadors of Christ, that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, we've been given the word of reconciliation, that every part of the body has been gifted, that all of us have received gifts, we know that God wants the body to work together to attend to the needs of the body and also to be ambassadors outside of the body. So now, naturally, logically, the next step would be, okay, Lord, I want to know what your will is for my life. Where, when, and how do you want me to use these gifts and abilities that you've given to me? Because again, he's the one that's prepared them. He's the one that has given us these gifts and abilities. He's the one that's calling us to use them. So what better place to find out how to use them, where to use them, when to use them, than the Source Himself. Than to go to God and to ask, what is your will? What is it that you have for me? What is it that you desire of me? And so that leads us to to this last thing that that we're gonna spend a, a little bit of time on here this morning, and that is, what does that look like? in the life of a believer what does ministry look like in the life of a believer we know that we're called to take this gospel the ministry of reconciliation to those who need it but what does that look like and who should we be ministering to in Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 29 it says behold a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life and he said to him what is written in the law what is your reading of it so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So obviously we all know that we are called to love one another, right? I, I mean, I think that, that we've made that case Very, very plainly. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans, Paul writes that the love of God has been poured directly into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it is this love that we're supposed to share. John writes that, Beloved, let us love one another for lovers of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And he that loves not does not know God. But he that loves knows God and is known by him. So we are called to love. We know that. It's very simple. But how many of us, at knowing that, have ever found ourselves in a similar place to this lawyer where we had moments that we ask, who do I have to love? Okay, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I know I'm supposed to put the needs of others above myself. I know I'm supposed to bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters. But who do I have to love? Where where on this list can I find a place to stop? Who are the people that I don't have to love is really what he's getting at. That's what this lawyer is asking. Who are the people that I don't have to love? But that sounds like a terrible question to ask. So I'm going to ask, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And when Jesus was speaking to this man, it was at a time when there were holy people. People that felt that they had now gotten so close to God that they couldn't be bothered by people that didn't know God. That they couldn't be bothered by the unholy, by the ungodly, by the wretch, by the sinner. And that is where this question was rooted in. And so Jesus answered him, by giving him this parable that we know is a parable of the Good Samaritan. In verse 30 of Luke 10, Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion." So obviously this man that is laying half dead on the side of the road is in desperate need of help. He has needs that very obviously need to be met. He needs to be assisted. He needs to be helped. He needs to be ministered to. And there are two religious people that walk right on by. And not just walk right on by, but they passed by on the other side of the road. If anything, they went out of their way to avoid him, not out of their way to help him. He was clearly noticed. It wasn't that either of those men were so busy or, or so caught up in other things that they didn't recognize the need. They saw the need, but they couldn't be bothered. And they walked by on the other side. But this Samaritan, someone that that especially by the religious people and by the Jews, was deemed to be an unholy half-breed because he wasn't fully Jewish. He was Samaritan. This unholy half-breed was the one that had a very different reaction. And that reaction was compassion. So in verse 34, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This Samaritan's life, was inconvenienced by this man his life was inconvenienced and the compassion that he showed to him was costly it was costly to the Samaritan he went above and beyond out of his way to help a total stranger and that is what ministry looks like that is what ministry looks like it's messy it's costly oftentimes it's thankless But it's what we're called to as children of God. All of us. All of us are called to that. It's not just for the pastor or for the elder or the deacon. It's for everyone that is found in Christ. For every child of God. And ministering requires compassion. Sometimes it means you're going to be hurt by the very people that you help. I cannot begin to count the number of times that I or or someone on a A pastoral staff has reached out to someone and helped and then turned around and just been snake bit, been been hurt, been talked about, been lied about, had terrible things done to us. And all we ever did was reach out to help. Sometimes ministry hurts. Sometimes it means you're going to get used by people. Not just pastors, not just elders, not just deacons. Children of God, there are times that that you are going to be used by people and not in a good way. That you are going to reach out. You're going to help someone. You're going to offer to do something for someone and they're going to take advantage of you. They're going to take advantage of that. They are going to abuse the grace and the mercy that you extend towards them. Sometimes that's what ministry involves. There are many times that you are going to be exhausted. Exhausted in one of any different number of ways. It could be physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, emotionally exhausted, that you have come to the end of everything that you have. And that's a good place to be because that means that you are being used by God. But when we get to that place, we need to be refilled. We need to come back to the source of everything that we just expended, and that is God. That we need to come back, and we need to be recharged uh, a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity some of the pastors and I to be able to talk to a leader from another church, and he was sharing about some of the the ministry positions that that they have in, in their fellowship, and that, that they 've noticed that there 's a, a time frame this This time that that they need to actually take and and sit some of these people down because they have just become so exhausted, so overwhelmed, so overcome by ministry because it's difficult and it's costly, it's messy, it's dirty. When you get into the lives of people and you're going to minister, you're going to meet needs, sometimes there are things that, that you wish that you didn't know. There are things that you wish you didn't see, things that you wish you didn't hear. But at the end of the day, you are so thankful that you were able to be used for the glory of God to help impact people's lives. But there has to be a recharging, there has to be a refreshing where we come back to the source because it is exhausting. Ministry in every capacity as a child of God is exhausting. And it means that you have to go out of your way at times to meet needs. It means that we have to get out of our comfort zone. It means working outside of normal office hours, so to speak. It means working overtime. It means being inconvenienced. It means allowing yourself to give away some of your wants so that you can meet the needs of someone else. It is costly to our own wants and desires oftentimes. But... It also means that we get the privilege and the opportunity and the blessing to be able to see people get to know Jesus for the first time. And we get the privilege and the opportunity and the blessing to see people who have lost their way return to Jesus. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that brings us to leaving the 99, something that that has become very popular nowadays in a song that's called Reckless Love. In Luke chapter 15 verses 1 and 2, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And for me, it is such a joy reading about how much God loves those who are clearly undeserving. Who are clearly undeserving. Who are the unloved. Because it reminds me of how loved I am and how messed up I still am and how much worse off I was even before. That when Jesus came into my life, that I was already miserable. I was a wretch. I was young and I was still a wretch. And that there were many years from the time that I came to know Jesus Christ at the start, there were many years that, that I, I was lost still in many ways. That I, I was still a son, I was still a child of God, but, but my life was not reflecting all the things that it should. And I, I bear the burden of that. I bore the burden of that. It, God has relieved me of that, but, but I bore the burden of that. I, the sins, the things that I committed, the things that I did, the consequences for my actions, for my thoughts, for my deeds. And to know that, that we can draw near to him and that he's not going to cast us aside but that we can draw near to him and that he draws us closer. It's one thing to love the lovable, but it's an entirely different different and more difficult thing to love those who aren't easy to love. But that's exactly who Jesus came to save. And so he speaks this parable to them in verse 3. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And so one of the things that needs to be made clear here is that this is not a careless, uh, a reckless love in the sense that that I don't care what happens to the 99 because the one is so much more important. The understanding here is that the 99 are already safe and protected and where they're supposed to be. But there's a recognition that there is one that is lost. There is one that is missing. That there is a 1% out there that needs to be brought back. And that that 1% is not cast off. That 1%, just because God doesn't look at it and say, well, 99%, that's pretty good. Those are pretty good numbers. He says 99% means that there's 1% missing, and I need to go get the 1%. Not that I don't care about the 99%, not that I leave them to their own devices, but that they are secure where I have them, and now I need to go out and minister to this 1%. And then when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. He doesn't just drag it back, doesn't just lead it back, but he picks up the one that was lost. And he carries him back to where he should be. And that is such a beautiful picture for us. That when we do stumble, when we do fall, when we are overtaken in a trespass, that when we are restored, that God is so faithful to pick us up and to carry us back. To be the strength that we so obviously didn't have. To be the strength. And when he comes home in verse 6, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost and I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance God loves to rejoice when the unsaved are reconciled to him but also when his children are restored into right relationship with him God loves to rejoice when that happens And for us, again, ministry takes place inside and outside the body of Christ, inside and outside the church. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, something that that I'm sure most of us are pretty familiar with. So we're going to skip down to where the son has already left and he's spent everything. And now he recognizes that, that he's at the end of his own devices. And so in verse 20... It says, he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had what? Compassion. It's the same thing that we saw in the Good Samaritan. He had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And I love the picture here because this is a picture of our Heavenly Father coming out and this is the only time that you ever see a depiction of God in a hurry. That he ran to him. He didn't wait until, until the sun got all the way back to him. He ran out to meet him. He went and he found the 1% and he put him on his shoulder and he picked him up and he carried him back. He ran, he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father instead said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry, except not all of them. Because the older son, the son that had stayed, the son that had been doing all the right things, that had been coming to church, that had been involved in in children's ministry, in security ministry, that had been attending Bible studies three times a week, that had not missed a church service in years, he was offended that this son that had not done anything, that had gone out and lived recklessly, had now been received in the same way that he was. But in verse 31, jumping all the way down, The Father says to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In Galatians chapter six, verses one through three, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, condemn him, kick him out, and don't let him back into the church. That's not what it says. It says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and to understand that everyone around us is our neighbor, so so fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And sometimes the ministry is to reconcile a brother or a sister who has stumbled back to Christ. To bring them back into that right relationship. We bear one another's burdens. We come alongside to help them return into a right relationship with Jesus. And we do it humbly, knowing that we are just as capable of every moral failure under the sun. There's another quote that, that I'm, I'm going to shorten for you this morning, but, but it was this preacher that was preparing to pass out communion, and, and this lady comes up, and, and she's talking to the preacher, and she tells him, can you believe these people that are coming for communion? You know, in disgust, you know, can you believe the life that they live and the things that they're doing? And the preacher says, there go I, but by the grace of God. In other words, saying that that I would be just as bad. To look at at the prisons and the people that are are locked up for all of these horrible, horrible deeds and to know that, that I am no better than any of them. I am no better than any of them. And none of us are any better. That we are all wretches and that there go I but by the grace of God. It is only the grace of God, the mercy of God, that allows me to stand in this relationship that I now have with him, and it's not because I deserve it, it's not because I've earned it. If anything, I have earned hell. I deserve hell. But because of the love of Christ, the love of the Father who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to pay that price that none of us ever could, and then to raise him up, that it is through him in this relationship that now we have access to the Father that now we have access to eternal life, that now we have a responsibility to go out and to bring others into the same kind of relationship. Not because they're deserving, not because we were deserving, but because God loves them. And we are called to love them too. We are called to minister inside the body and outside the body. And so as we wrap it up this morning, I, I would just encourage you, To recognize that if you this morning are a child of God, that there are responsibilities that come along with that. There are responsibilities that come along with being a part of this family. And one of the responsibilities is to minister. To minister. To be an ambassador of Christ outside the body. But also to minister to the needs of the body inside to edify the church, to build up. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the body of Christ ministering to each other, building each other up, that all of this is for the equipping of the saints, in verse 12, for the work of ministry, the equipping of the saints so that we can go out and minister, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but this is what we are to do, to speak the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, what every member of this family supplies, according to the effective working by which every part, every part of this body, every part of this fellowship does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying, the building up of itself of this fellowship in love. To bring it all the way home for us, from whom the whole body of Calvary Chapel of El Paso joined and knit together by what every joint in the Calvary Chapel of El Paso Fellowship Supplies, according to the effective working by which every part of Calvary Chapel of El Paso does its share, causes growth of the body of the fellowship here at Calvary Chapel of El Paso for the edifying of the body here at Calvary Chapel of El Paso in love. And yes, it extends out to the entire body of Christ, but it also means here that we need to be active, we need to be involved, we need to minister to the needs of each other. That means maybe for some of us, picking up a baby, you know, they they have a sign out there in the nursery. It says, if you don't know where to serve, if you can pick up a baby, you can serve here. You know, it's that simple. Oh brother, I, I can't do children's ministry because I don't know how to teach kids. Well that's cool, these kids don't even know what you're saying anyway, they're one. You know, just pick them up, you know, just smile. Some of you don't smile. You look scarier. But, but just pick up the baby. That's all it is. That's all it takes. And there are countless ministries inside this fellowship, inside the body of Christ at large, that you can get involved in. And that's part of what we're called to. But then also to be ambassadors of Christ outside. To be able to invite others, those who don't know Jesus, to come. What the beauty of having four men come to know Jesus Christ at the men's retreat is that those guys had to be invited by somebody. Stop and think about that. They had to be invited by somebody who was faithful and the pressing that God had placed on their heart to invite that person. And sometimes, you know, I'll close it here, but, but sometimes there, there are people that we look at just like the Pharisees and the holy people did. That we look at them and say, you know what, they're just, I, they're my friend and, and I, I love them, but they're a lost cause. Or, you know what, I've talked to them before and they just don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear about God. They don't want to hear about the Bible. They don't want to hear about church. And, and you know what, I just, I don't want to lose this friendship. I don't want to lose this relationship. So I'm not going to talk to them about God. And there have been times in my life that I've had people like that. Maybe it's a working relationship. Maybe it's a, an acquaintance. Maybe it's a, a very close friend. Maybe it's a family member. And you, I, I think, oh, God, are you sure? Like this this is gonna make this whole relationship awkward going forward and God presses it upon my heart and there are times that I haven't been faithful but there have been times that I have been faithful and that I have offered sometimes even just the simplicity of an invitation to come to church hey you know what we have church at 9 and 11 on Sundays we just maybe if you're interested in coming you know I, I I can give you directions not expecting anything and they say, you know what? Yeah, maybe I'll be there. And you just leave it at that. You know, it's not one of those we're going to throw a parade because they came to church and, and make them feel awkward. But just the simplicity of, of being faithful to the pressing, the leading of the Holy Spirit, to be wise, to understand what the will of the Lord is for each and every one of us. Amen.